and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge guest, massive guest, a, a legendary musician in The Replacements, and also one of my favorite visual artists of all time, Chris Mars. That's right. More on that in one second, but it's a good one. Stay, stay tight. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for the show. I love you, buddy. And he will get the message to me. You can also find the show over at Turned Out of Punk on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. There's videos up on there, show announcements, all sorts of good stuff. I can be found on Twitter or Instagram. We'll see how long Twitter lasts, at Leftford Damien, and, uh, and there, that is that. Um, if you want to support the show, support the show by telling all your friends about it. That's the best way to support it now. Just let everyone know that you know that you enjoy this podcast, and we have lots of cool guests on it, and, and that's what you do. I also play in a band. We are called Fucked Up, and you can find out more information at fuckedup.cc. We've got show announcements that are going to be coming soon. We've got a bunch of records. We've been going for a while. And keep putting out these records. And you, if you want some, like the Cop 7-inch, or that might be sold out now. Maybe not. Cop 7-inch or, or whatnot. You can go over to the turnedoutapunk.cc or <laughs> fuckedup.cc and find out all that good stuff over there. And speaking of fucked up, Sandy Miranda, who plays bass in Fucked Up, uh, years ago shot a video of me playing yo-yo with, or playing yo-yo, doing yo-yo, battling at yo-yo with Jack Black, and I've just put up that video so you can find it over on uh, all the Turned Out of Punk feeds and also on Sandy's YouTube channel, which I believe is linked... I believe it's linked on the Instagram. On Sandy's Instagram. Anyway, you find Sandy, but thanks, Sandy, for shooting that stuff way back when. I'm going to be coming to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and giving some tours at the Punk Museum. If you are around, uh, come and check it out. It's going to be fun. Fred Armisen is going to be doing stuff on the 23rd of July. Uh, His one's already sold out. Go figure. Uh, But I'll be doing something with Fred that day as well. And then on the 24th and 25th, I will be giving tours. You can still get tickets for those ones. And uh, you can find out more information over at thepunkmuseum.com. Come out. I'm going to give, I'm going to, my heart will be left on the floor with with this tour because there's a lot of cool stuff there that I'm very excited to see and to Sharing their version of what punk history is. That's what I love about this thing is that we all have our different takes and our different versions of what punk history is and what's included and what's not included. And I'm very excited to see theirs because it, it's pretty close to my definition and I can't wait to see what they got. Like This is like going through the, the ultimate record collection, but it's people's stuff. Sorry, knocked my uh, bong. Uh, also, uh, Emissions Records and Hot Docs are continuing their Summer of Punk series. Emission Records also Emissions Records also has a uh, anniversary series going on with shows and photography exhibits and all sorts of stuff. So, check out over at Emission Records Shop underscore Toronto and uh, on Instagram and also Hot Docs on Instagram and find out more information about those screenings. I'm going to be hosting a few of them. Homies are hosting some other ones. It's going to be, there's fun stuff happening. Lots of cool screenings and things happening. Hopefully see you in Vegas. All right, on to today's show. As I said off the top, someone I'm a massive fan of in two fields. 
the great Chris Mars. Chris Mars is someone who Tristan talked about trying to get on the show years ago, and now it has finally happened. Huge thank you to Sally for all the aid in making this possible. As I said off the top, Chris Mars, you probably know him from The Replacements, or you might know him from his visual arts world career, because both are incredibly important, and I didn't really connect the two. It took me a long time to connect the two, and once I have, I realized that Chris is a... You know, like a singular artist and who has applied the same sort of philosophy to painting as he applied to drumming, which is that very punk rock DIY thing. You're going to hear me kind of do this like a chorus in a song in a second on the episode, but just a very punk rock approach to these two mediums. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. Also excited because in the fall, Chris has an incredible book that's going to be coming out on the fantastic Rare Bird Books 742 I've I've looked through this thing and it is whew, I love art books, but this is a this is a, a tome and a half. It's fantastic, and that'll be dropping this fall. Chris also has a brand new record, which is uh, all going to be din- benefit for the Mutt Mutt Engine, which is a dog rescue that uh, he has helped um, fund. Chris has set up years ago, and you can find out more information at muttmuttengine.org. The record is The Average Album. I love Chris's solo records. This one is, uh, this one's out there. It's awesome. It's fantastic. And you can find out more information at chrismarspublishing.com about all of these projects. And as they get announced, and also Chris has some exhibitions going on right now in uh, Santa Monica. There's an exhibition going on, but there's exhibitions throughout the year. Into next year, all of that is available over at chrismarspublishing.com. I'm not going to ramble on anymore because this is a fun one. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Chris Mars on Turned Out a Punk. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, you're welcome, Damien. Really nice to meet you. Well, it's a fantastic to meet you because as I was telling you off air, and here's where I'm, I'm going to repeat myself now, uh, <laughs> the the music stuff you've done obviously is beyond reproach and, and we will talk a lot about that, but I don't think I ever really made the connection between Chris Mars, you know, the, the legendary musician, and then Chris Mars, this artist that I saw. I was thinking it was juxtaposed, but I went through all my issues of juxtaposed and I couldn't find the issue, but there was an issue of a magazine, an arts magazine that I saw your art in. And it was just the way you do eyes and realizing that eyes are kind of like, almost like the anchor of a picture in a way. And if you can nail the eyes and obviously I'm not doing eyes like you do eyes, but if you can nail the eyes, it it allows the surrealness to kind of have a reality and a humanity to it. And and I've just carried your inspiration with me on that stuff for ever since like the mid nineties on, on the art stuff. Oh, cool. I, I I really appreciate hearing that. No, that's, that's, that's really exciting to hear. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You mentioned the eyes. Okay. So a little bit of a story behind that when I was, uh, when I was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11, you know, maybe, I don't know, 12, 13, something right around that age. My dad loved horses and he said, paint me a horse, you know? So I painted him a horse and he was getting, getting up and I kind of had a, a little bit more of an older dad than a lot of kids, you know, uh, around. So he was, you know, I was the, I'm the youngest of seven and he was kind of a little older when he started having kids. But uh, basically, so, you know, I painted him this horse and it hung by him and he's, I, you know, I asked him, how do you like it? And he goes, well, you know, I like it. He goes, but the eyes, they look dead, you mm. know? Mm. <laughs> and so, so I, I said, Oh man, you know, the eyes look dead. So I think that, that must've stuck with me 
Yeah. Because I always, you know, I'm I'm always really conscious about putting a lot of life in the eyes. So I think that was a little bit of a good little, you know, uh, reverse uh, psychology going on there for me. So. Well, yeah, because it certainly now is is the exact opposite uh, of any critique I'm sure you've ever been given about your paintings where these eyes are just like, but it's interesting where I think about this a lot now, like these sort of like, especially in terms of siblings, like these passing moments with an older sibling, yeah. um, you know, and then just the trauma it, it'll inflict on a younger sibling. Like, you know, like here's this passing critique from your dad that ends up influencing your art and having a massive impact on the way you produce art for the rest of your life. Those little things, man, that, that happen along the way. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah. So, but yeah, that, that happened, but yeah, just so many things. I mean, yeah, you can ask me anything, uh, but you know, just, you know, other influences. I mean, yeah, just, just visually, uh, you know, um, I think about growing up in the sixties uh, in Minneapolis and anywhere in America at that time where people burn their trash, you know, the garbage would go in the garbage and then anything you could burn would go in a burning barrel. And so we'd be running around in the 60s, running through the neighborhood, doing whatever, you know, us kids do. And uh, at night, there'd be these flickering fires and smoke all the time. And then we'd always come in and we'd smell like smoke and, you know, like whatever, you know, it just it's such an odd thing now when I think about that, it, that there was all this stuff flying around there but the way that looked visually too was a very inspirational thing to me the kind of the sun's going down there's light dancing off garages and there's smoke and i think a lot of that ends up in the paintings too you know those really those early visual impulses or whatever that influences that happen well we're gonna get to lots more art talk hopefully but i gotta sure. start this off the way they all start off okay Just, sure chris do you remember the first time you ever came across the word punk <laughs> Uh, yes, I probably, my brother brought my older brother who had a lot of records. He turned me on to a lot of stuff. Maybe I wasn't quite as performance anxiety with my, my brother. He was pretty cool about it, but he brought home a Rolling Stone and it was punk rock on the front and it was introducing the whole thing. So in the, in the, whatever, you know, late seventies, that was probably the first time I saw it. And I, and then he, and then he kind of said, Hey, have you heard about this? You know? And, you know, I was running around and, you know, just have any of the kids at that point, I was, uh, we were listening to Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, you know, Led Zeppelin, all of the stuff that was on the radio. You know, I, I listened to the Beatles. So I liked any, you know, any, whatever, whatever was going on. I liked music. I absorbed it. I listened to a lot of radio, but uh, that was, uh, that was something. What is this? And then I remember it was right at the age where I wanted to kind of, was kind of getting disillusioned with the group of friends I had. And and then this, 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 uh, what is this punk? I started investigating it and I just went right, I went right into it. It was like, man, that was, uh, yeah. So that was, a uh, quite an, uh, an inspirational pivot there in, in my teendom. How much awareness would you have had, like, of like bands, like, I guess the spooks and the suburbs and kind of like suicide commandos, like the early, early stuff. I know ultimately you would have a lot of involvement with the suicide commandos and, and all these people, but like early on as a young person getting into this stuff, was there any sort of, were they playing the stuff on the radio, college radio or anything like that? You know, a little bit started to trickle in. They would do even on KQRS, which was the big top 40 station or whatever, you know, uh, playing all the classics, classic radio. Uh, they would introduce some local bands from time to time to try to, you know, to basically, um, uh, you know, so so there would be a couple bands that would come on and then they were a little kind of getting sort of new wave punk sounding locally. I wasn't very aware of the suburbs of the Suicide Commandos really until I got in a band and we started playing and then we started playing out. Then, of course, 
you know, then you start learning about everybody because you're, you're in the bar scene now. <laughs> I love that stuff too. Like the, the, the spook stuff, like obviously you guys come out and kind of eclipse everything prior to, and Husker do obviously eclipses a lot. And then ultimately like a lot of great stuff comes out of this scene, but yeah. those first wave kind of Minneapolis bands, there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out there. Ground zero, I think is another one, right? Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, it was, I man, I think just at that time too, there was a lot of, we were, we were pretty early with the drinking, you know, we, we, we did a lot. Uh, we were, you know, that might've been the, the earlier years were probably even more so for me. Um, so I just remember just going down seeing bands and then bands would come through. There's only one place, uh, the Longhorn and the seventh street entry would play national punk bands or international punk bands. So they would come through. So like, uh, Wendy o. Williams, you know, sawing stuff on, on the stage and just crazy things were starting to come through town. And it, it was, yeah, it was just such a, you know, it was such a great, I don't know. It was such a separate, it, something new was happening. You just felt like something new was happening and that maybe we could be part of that. You know, that was, that was just the hope, you know, and even whatever happened with us, we didn't really think about that. We just, it was fun to be part of the whole, the whole thing. Of course, the Ramones and all that stuff. I listened to like the Buzzcocks and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, Richard Hell and the Voidoids. I think my brother got, they got that record. I remember listening to that. So all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It was, it was just a such it it was just it set everything apart from what I'd known before and it was a great a great window into another world. So I you know also I think with with the attitude of punk and what it felt like to me and and kind of the stuff, you know, the way I grew up and the friends I had. And I was always I was never uh like a jock. I was never one of the popular kids in any ways. I just I you know I was kind of you know fell into the sort of maybe you know some some art kids but but more just street trouble kids that were in trouble a lot, you know, even some of the band members that we've had before the replacements, they were like in group homes. And so there was a lot of like uh, delinquency going on around me, uh, blue collar neighborhood, South Minneapolis. Um, and so I just think of, uh, of that kind of feel and how punk felt so immediate and so kind of, it felt like where I was in a way where the other other stuff that a lot of my friends were listening to seemed unreachable. You know, it was like this stuff that was way up on a pedestal, a rock star, big stuff. And I could never be that. But when the punk thing came, it, it, it felt it felt like how I felt. And it also felt like I could be part of it. So that was that that was just that cool feeling that, that I never felt before. Like, I, and then the fact that you, you, I put on a Ramones record and I loved how simple it was and that you didn't have all these crazy fancy leads and musicianship. And, and it was, but there was obviously still musicianship there in a different way, but it felt like you could be part of it. And that was what it was very inviting. Yeah. That's what, that's what I remember loving about it. You kind of get the impression from people that, you know, obviously were into music before punk really kind of explodes that, there's almost this like sense of of waiting for punk or there's something you're waiting for something like that to come around and there's yeah you, it opens a floodgate right for so many different people to like you said it, it gave young people permission to do this you didn't have to be kiss you didn't have to be led zeppelin like you could just be a normal person yeah yeah that's it yeah and in just the way you know the look of it you know i mean obviously it got a little you know with the some of the sort of the London punk scene with a lot of the leather and the, you know, all of the stuffs and the different, you know, the, the look that way. But then there was that other part, the Ramones, where it was just like kids and delinquent kids with leather jackets or whatever. And us with our just, you know, kind of 
Minnesota lumberjack shirts on. I mean, you know, plaid shirts is whatever. That's what we wore on stage. And you didn't have to, you know, then there was bands, like you said, mentioned, like the suburbs where they were all, they kind of had a look and they had a kind of a more of a, you know, a design to them. And, and, uh, but so, yeah, it was, yeah, it, the, the whole thing. Yeah. New wave punk, the whole thing, but it all felt way more accessible. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah. And like you brought up earlier, like you're, you're hanging with these art kids, but there's also this sort of delinquent rock and roll thing. And that's, that's, you know, it's a, I say it on the show a lot, but that's the, that's what punk is, right? Like it's like street rock and roll meets uh, art school aspiration and, and maybe yeah. pretension in the best way possible. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it Very much so. Yeah. So going back to dog breath, was it, because it's always talked about how you guys did yes covers and things like that. But like, yeah. was your intention to kind of do something more in this sort of new punk stuff that you were discovering at that time? Um, I think, okay, if I remember right back then, that was before Paul, Paul joined the band. I think Tommy wasn't even really playing bass. He was pretty young at that time. So it was me and Bob uh, Stinson and then some other kids that he'd knew, known from like Red Wing, you know, uh, correctional facility down in Red Wing, Minnesota. Um, and you know, just a, just a couple guys like that. And they weren't necessarily good. I was aware of punk at the time. I remember getting, going down the rabbit hole with the, you know, never mind the Bullocks, uh, Bullocks, Bullocks, whatever you want to say. But yeah, when I, when I got that record and just the look of that record, you know, that the bright colors, it was simple. It was in your face and the sound was so, I don't, it was, I know that in retrospect now, the, the sex pistols are a little bit more like a monkeys. They were a little more fabricated. But it was a very good fabrication. Oh, absolutely! That that record's it incredible. Sounded so far. It still sounds really good. The sonics of it, yeah, just great stuff. So I just wore the hell out of that. So I was very aware of that. But I was playing with Bob, and Bob wasn't quite there yet. He was still, you know, uh, we were we were doing like Aerosmith covers, way into Yes, of course. You know, Steve Howe was his his favorite, and uh, we would just you know, drink a lot of three two beer and get and just play really loud. And then it would get into these jams that were probably getting to sort of punkish, you know, I don't know, but we were kind of like feeling our way around. And, and then I think it wasn't long after that, where I, I maybe brought over a sex pistols record, like, Hey, check this out. And then Bob, uh, you know, was started getting into the damn. So he was starting to, you know, get into it too. And, and so it's just kind of a slow progression when Paul joined, I think when Paul first joined, we were still maybe thinking of us as kind of a just a, like a rock band, you know, just playing some rock songs with some pop stuff mixed in. And we probably weren't quite all the way punk even at that point either. Just it was still that transition time. And then uh, and then then it was just like the, the attitude just came out once we started playing and seeing other bands. And so then we just we fell right into it. And then, of course, the. As we after we started playing bars and you know going around the maybe the the uh, the Midwest a little bit playing gigs, then hardcore came you know pretty pretty quick after that and it was just another they started coming through town Black Flag and into the entry and and this is wow now this is like now we're playing ninety miles an hour and this is you know this is like going a, a step beyond where we are but uh, uh, yeah it was just all it was all just such a cool cool time cool feel it did like again it just felt like something new was happening and i you'd sometimes get the feel that you you were you know maybe you and a handful of people were the only people that were going to see these bands it was never going to take off you know it was just going to always be this kind of underground punk thing and uh but you know some did some, some but a lot of it went a long, a long ways yeah so 
it's yeah. the immediacy of it too like it like what we're talking about is is, is the span of a few years right the progression that's happening within the music the fact that like you guys go from jamming in a basement to becoming this sort of national touring act you know like everything just seems like it was permission like the foot was on the gas now for for every young person that, that wanted to right like there were a lot of ambition for these young people and kids were finally able to do something with it i think so yeah i think that that's that's really what it felt like yeah it uh you know when we um i think we probably the the closest to sort of getting into the hardcore sound was stink our record stink mm -hmm. and that was about as up tempo as we got and as raw as we got and then I think I remember there was a point where we started touring with Husker Du and there were, we kind of got into sort of a tour circuit on the East Coast where we we're uh, maybe, uh, you know, headlining or warming up for some hardcore bands. And there was some the slam dance, you know, there was a lot. It was a different kind of an audience and it had it's but it felt almost like there was like a, a we were back to like you kind of had to be this certain way to fit in. And it felt a little bit like there was maybe some more rules that you had to follow. And I think that might have been a point where we said, well, man, we don't want to follow rules. <laughs> well, there, there, yeah, there definitely is sort of this codification that comes with hardcore, right? Like it was like we're the hardcore center of punk rock. And, and for that to be valid, it has to be this, not that. And it has yeah. to look like this and not that. And yeah. It ultimately, there is experimentation that comes around later on, but I, I think for it's it's fascinating to like look at you know yourselves and Husker Du as these two bands and the way you interact with hardcore, where Husker Du winds up leaning into it and alienating itself from a lot of the local scene, but at the same time that you guys end up kind of becoming the band of the city. What what it seems like, like sort of you know end up signing a Twin Tone and you know like in your way of almost rejecting hardcore and finding like a new a different way to be punk and still yeah. being punk it, yeah. it kind of like ends up capturing the heart of the underground of the city it seems it's like you know looking at it from geographical distance and and you know temporal distance oh that's cool that you that you know hearing your perspective you know like you said from from a distance and sometimes you know when you're in it you don't you know you're just going through it so yeah maybe some of those things might miss us a little bit but um but yeah no it was uh I remember there was a, a pretty good turning point where we were playing. I, you know, this you probably heard this story before, but uh, we were in New York, and I think we might have been playing at Gildersleeves or something like that in New York, um, and and we started getting booed because we weren't kind of fast enough and hard enough, and so then we just kind of came out and just started playing Hank Williams and yeah. uh, and just you know in country sign you know whatever top forty just shit they'd hate Kiss. You know, and then it was almost that became a little more punk than the punk was. <laughs> it was, you know, so we got a lot of stuff thrown at us, but uh, I be, but it was kind of a, a turning point where we, we probably, you know, we we respect the genre, but we probably don't fit in kind of thing. You know? But but also we were influenced by it, too. I think the scene it made us play faster and harder. And, you know, that it gave us a lot of energy, that scene. So that, so that was really good. That that was a good thing that came out of it. I think in later years, we probably had to kind of tone that down a little bit. Like when we went into a studio to record, the the impulse was, what did I learn early on? I want to play 90 miles an hour. And then I kind of had to kind of learn to slow the tempo down a little bit, which was kind of hard. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that double-edged sword of inspiration, though, right? Like, even in rejection, that's a form of inspiration. It doesn't have to be a positive influence. Like, it can be a... Uh 
a negative influence or not even negative necessarily, but like an idea that you're taking it in a different way because you don't necessarily like where right. this thing goes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like things come to a head. I mean, I think that happens, you know, when I'm, when I'm painting too, like all of the fate, all of the times I failed or all the times I hit a wall and got really frustrated and angry. And that, that would correlate as well with music direction or what you feel like, you know, the first, the first separation is what I want to get away from, this group of friends that, you know, all they want to do is sit around and smoke pot and they have no aspirations. And so then it's, and then they don't care about punk. They don't, they're not getting it. They're not, so I'm on it. I'm moving away. And so that's like uh you know, that's, that's, that's friction there, you know? So anytime there's that kind of friction, I I agree. Uh, that can be, that can, that can be a double-edged sword that can be an inspiration to launch you into a, into a different direction. So yeah. I think it's also amazing the inspiration you guys wind up having in your rejection of it, because like, like you're saying, Stink's kind of the peak of this sort of uh, flirtation with hardcore. And then by Hootenanny, it's kind of, it's different, right? The interaction yeah. with it. But that, a couple of years or a year or so later, like Deep Wound guys become Dinosaur Jr. and kind of follow that path. There's a lot of bands that are kind of getting frustrated with hardcore or aging out of hardcore in a way. Um, and, and looking for what's the next, like, what do you do as a band? And like the replacements had already kind of made that journey a year or so earlier. Perhaps so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you could say I, I could see that. Yeah. <laughs> One of the first exposures I had to your artwork on a record was the ha well, like painting on a record, I should say, is the Hammerhead record that you did uh, for. Amrit. Oh, right, right. For, for Amrit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom, yeah. Still, still uh, have coffee with Tom from time to time. Yeah, he's a good friend. Well, I was going to ask you, like, what was your, like, awareness or when did you first become aware of, like, Halo of Flies and what was going on? Because it seems like that's like a little sub-scene almost that's happening at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. And probably, you know, I think Tom's a little younger. So, you know, it's funny when you're that age, you know, just a couple of years can be a, a, a chasm, you know. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, we were we were we were acting to stuff that was a little older than us, like a lot of local blues guys, you know, and whatever rock guys and. And then punk comes along and, you know, people, punk bands start coming through town and it's a whole new thing. Then local guys start to adopt that attitude. We do as well. And, and, um, and so uh, where was I going with that? But uh, meeting Tom. Oh yeah. Yeah. Tom. So then, you know, but then becoming aware and meeting Tom, Tom, uh, I, I knew of him. I knew of AMREP. I didn't know all about it. And then when I met him and he turned me on to some stuff and, He's always listening to really cool, interesting things. I don't, I don't absorb music as much as I do now. So I, he's kind of a touchstone for me sometimes. Like, hey man, what's what's cool? And he'll, you know, he'll throw something. I go, fuck, that's really good. You gay witch abortion or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, this shit it, sounds good. Yeah. Well, that that label is, uh, you know, as it goes on, um, you know, puts out so much amazing stuff. Uh, but yeah. like, I think Halo Flies are like those early Halo Flies records are, are kind of weirdly overlooked, certainly by yeah. uh, a lot of early fans of punk music is just, you know, just, I don't know why, but they are so great. Like, yeah, so I, 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 misanthropic. I agree. I, I, I love them too. And yeah, you know, I don't know what it is. If, if sort of the intelligentsia latches onto whatever the hell it does, and then it overlooks other things and, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's funny how that happens, but yeah, you're right. It it deserves uh it deserves more attention, that's for sure. But uh, yeah. When did you start kind of um taking art sort of seriously? Not necessarily professionally, but I mean like start sort of applying yourself beyond just sort of doodling and things like that. Yeah, I I probably took it the most serious um <clears throat> I think I started getting 
towards the end of the band, I, it started really calling me. And so every, I kind of started looking more, uh, looking forward to being off tour than more than I wanted to be on tour at the, at towards the end, because I kind of had this thing going at home that I wanted to get back to. And I was doing a lot of drawing and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, pastels or chalk pastels. I was starting to get into color and I wanted to move. And then I would be visiting museums and trying to figure out how things were done. I'd study them. And and so I, you know, I never went to school or anything like that, but just, just by looking and trying different things. So that would probably be maybe the end of the replacements is when I started taking it mentally, the serious, most serious I'd say. And then when I got out of the band, I really, I still kind of had a music bug in me. I did some solo stuff. But I was really getting torn between the two worlds at that point and um, uh, going further and further down the rabbit hole of of uh, you know, trying to draw and paint and get to the get to where I wanted to be, which was oil paint, because that's what I saw. Uh, there was something about the nature of, of, of how oil paint uh, reacted to light, even if it was hundreds of years old, it was still there and just like it could have been painted yesterday. There was some quality about it that I wanted to figure that I wanted to crack that nut and get there. So I, I think I started, started failing a lot for about 10 years. after that. <laughs> and there you go again, that, that failure. But I, I, when I look back on it, it's, I, I'm glad, I'm glad about it because it, it riled me up enough to where it inspired me to try it again. It kind of, it, sometimes you would I mean, I just wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to beat it. <laughs> I was, I became competitive with my failure, I guess. And, uh, and wanted to just get there and some one way or another. So. Well, there's also just something, you know, obviously you have to have like a raw talent for it, for this to work, but like very similar to what you do with drums, you know, like I was talking to Carl Alvarez from the descendants, the other, uh, they were just in town recently. And we we're talking about artists that came out of punk and yeah. your, you know, your name came up. And he was talking about just how your approach to drumming, um, like by the time they went on tour with the replacements, you were, you had left the band and yeah. he was like, all was on tour with them. And he was like, you know what? It just, the songs never sounded right because Chris had kind of invented his own style of drumming. Like his way of drumming is just so unique. And it's same with the painting that you do. And it's, it's something that can only really come if it's self-taught, like if you're taking those inspirations, trying and failing and kind of finding what works for you more than having an instructor be like, here's what you got to do. Yeah. 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 That's it. And it's, it's a, uh, and I appreciate that. I didn't know that that's, that's cool. I, I appreciate the compliment from uh, you know, that, that if I was in, inspirational in any way that that's really cool drum wise. Um, I don't think of myself, you know, I, I know I did some drumming and I, I would say if I look back on that, um, I would um, I would have to say the two biggest influences at the time. And you talk about getting inspired by just dumb, like just little things like a fill, you know. So like uh, I think post the replacements, I don't know the replacements, the the Ramones, uh, post Tommy Early when they got their new drummer, there was something about the sound of that and the way he hit the drums and maybe just a couple minimal fills. I think I probably stole some from that. And then the other two guys were um, Topper Heaton, the second drummer for The Clash. Yeah. And uh, also the uh, drummer for Elvis Costello. Why, why am I spacing his name now? But those first. Oh, couple from the Attractions, guys. right? Attractions, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm blanking on it too. Uh, yeah. I apologize. And, and there was like, there was stuff that I would listen to and I would wear those records out. 
because there were interesting fills and weird things going on and beats that I didn't hear with a lot of the stuff I grew up with. So there was something new happening there and I liked it and it was insp inspirational. So whatever I took from that to make my own style or whatever, th that's, that's definitely all of that stuff is in there. A lot, a lot of the crazy stuttered roles that Topper Heaton did, you know, um, I, I just, I still like, uh, yeah, I still, I still think about that and, and really like it. And I, and I liked it. I love uh, give them enough rope. I wore that record out. And then, of course, London Calling. I wore the hell out of that too. So yeah, that was that was another one. But it's uh, funny because so yeah, "Give Him yeah. Enough Rope" is a record that you know people tend to overlook yeah. the, the difficult second record, right? But uh, there's that's like that's probably like my favorite record start to finish that they did. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, great. There's some great sort of melodies that are weaving through there. It's really melodic in a really cool and anthemic in a really cool way. Sometimes it's not even a voice, but it's Mick Jones's guitar that does some crazy anthemic lick. You know, and just with all the drums and the production is really cool too. So yeah, I love, I still love that record. Yeah, they they definitely. Uh, uh, it's just it's it's fascinating, like we were saying, like you just pick up on these little things. You know, I, I years ago um, mm -hmm. was talking um, to Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo, and he was talking the entire inspiration from Devo came from hearing a Roxy Music synth lick that they did. And he's like, that, that's entirely, you know, I'd never heard anything like that, but that's what I based the entire sound on. And so. Interesting. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. 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 It's, it's also. I mean, the and smallest I think thing sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's yeah. sort of like this idea of like hearing something and being like, that's cool. I wonder what would happen if I took that and kind of expounded upon the, just this idea, you know, and like able to focus in on it, which is something that if you're going through a, a drumming school and learning your your rudiments and then learning from like okay you got to play drums like this first and do this sort of stuff you're, you're not going to find that same sort of inspiration right yeah yeah stuff you can't get from a classroom i think that's true too and i think it's i think it, it translates into painting it's more about uh you know i didn't i didn't have the technique i couldn't figure oil painting out it took me 10 years to finally figure it out you know after i left the band um, and, and it was more about, it was more about seeing things, getting really something that just stirs you, gets you emotionally inspired and excited. And then, and then just remembering that. And then it also is just like a lot of stuff that's going on in your life too. You know, I mean, it all, it, everything, everything gets in there, you know, and I, and I, and it, probably going back to punk and that sort of do it yourself figure it out yourself, being able, you know, it's all right to do it yourself, having permission. Um, and then that kind of outsider status really was appealing to me in a few different ways. And, you know, later on in my life, you know, as I was painting, a lot of that came out where I, I was thinking about growing up with my brother, uh, Joe, who, who um, was schizophrenic, you know, uh, and, and the trials that he went through and, and, and seeing that and seeing him go have to go away to the hospital from time to time and have episodes. He was more of an episodic schizophrenic. So he was, and, but he was so cool because he, you know, there was, he was so, so much more than his disease. Obviously he was a human being uh, and had, it was very deep, had a great sense of humor, but he just, you know, this thing where he would just start to drift away and then he wasn't there anymore. And, and how, then I started thinking about how people regard, you know, people that aren't quote normal or whatever. And, and then that, that all, that all gets folded in to the whole thing. 
So it's it's an interesting path that it all takes. You're you you're you're you see, you feel sort of the you have permission to go a certain way, and it has this sort of outsider feel to it. And I don't know, it's creative and it all goes, and then the art, you know, I think is just an extension of that. The kind of stuff I'm painting is probably, you know, maybe even could could even be considered punk in its own way, I guess. Absolutely. Well, what you're describing, like the sort of idea that like what I love what I love most about punk is this idea that the the inspiration is the most important part. The virtuosity, you figure that out after you have the inspiration. Yeah, yeah. And wherever right. you're at is where you put out the artwork. And then you and you just get better at it, you know? And, and that's why yeah. I think there's so many people that started in punk bands and now are doing so many incredible different things, not, not necessarily playing that same sort of music anymore, but they got set on that journey and just kind of kept building on what they did early on. You know, right. it's, a, it's fascinating too. Cause like, obviously the replacements, a huge, huge band that changes rock music forever, but temporally it's not a very long period of time in your life. <laughs> you're like, you're, yeah. it's just one artistic expression in a life of creating art, but yet it's what starts you on this path that leads to fine art. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I think I even remember, uh, you know, you, you know, uh, what age you are really matters too. At least it did for me where as a teen, I was just way too restless to sit and concentrate. Probably when I was a little kid, that's all I do. I get in trouble drawing and stuff all the time. Uh, you know, going to Catholic school and, you know, getting whatever, <laughs> getting a rap on the, on the shoulder or whatever. I remember I had this one nun that would kind of come up and just, you know, kind of squeeze you really hard if you were out of line. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I just remember getting in trouble a lot drawing, you know, but they also appreciated it too. I got called down to the principal's office one time and I thought I was in trouble. And it was because I had drawn something in school that was kind of, I think a little bit, maybe, I don't know, beyond what other, the other kids were doing. So they wanted to talk to me about it. So, I don't know, but, but as you went, so when I was a little kid, I had the, I had the patience to draw. When you get into teendom, man, you know, you're all over the place and, and I couldn't really think of concentrated. So I kind of let it go. And then, you know, music was much more of an immediate thing that I could get in. It felt like it was kind of getting into trouble and making art at the same time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. 
That's well, you do you do, do some illustration stuff for the replacements, but did you ever do, contribute to zines or, or do flyers or any of that sort of punk stuff? No, not much. I, there might have been a couple little things I did, but yeah, nothing extensive at all. Yeah, nothing extensive. So yeah, and it was more of a thing than I just, I, it was there. And then the I, and I'm kind of one of those things where, one of those guys where I can focus on one thing and kind of give it my all at a time. And I, you know, now I can maybe scatter myself and do this and do this and do this. I've learned how to separate it a little bit more and turn it on and off. But at that time, I think when the replacements happened, I felt like this was something that I really wanted to be loyal to and focus on really hard. And, uh, you know, you, it starts out like, you know, maybe the fun thing, but then you feel like you're starting to get better and something's happening. So then you want to really see it through and love it through. And um, I remember having that feeling too, where I didn't really, I wasn't concentrating on anything else but that creatively. But then as time goes on, then it's the other things start to come back on me because they're just there, you know, the, 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 the visual inspiration and then starting to see artists. Like I saw like some, I remember being on the road one time and I, I saw some Suco paintings and they were just so immediate and raw and felt so punk and they were political and they were just dark and cool and i'd never seen anything like those paintings quite done like that i just remember that was a nugget of inspiration that i held on to and i wanted to get there somehow so i you know what i mean i started just getting it started coming back i started to be inspired more visually then and then yeah so it it went where it went it went where it goes where it goes i guess that's what i'm <laughs> trying to say you gotta let it you gotta let it happen yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely well like you're saying it like it, it, it's something that developed naturally. Like it doesn't seem like you ever forced it. And, and that's why I don't know. I, it just, it's such a, it's such a beautiful style because it is a, a, like a natural style that led you there. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I thanks, thanks. Yeah. And it is. Yeah. And it is more uh, again. Yeah. It's it, you, like you were talking about earlier. If you went to school, of course, you know, there are things I'm, I have to say though, uh, that taught me, like, I remember my wife, my wife's uh, late father, uh, who, um, uh, said one time, you know, you might be doing something that you don't feel is worthwhile or you're bored by it, but sometimes doing those things, you know, everything you do can teach you something. There, there might be something in there. So I remember when I got out of, uh, the replacements, I didn't have any income at that point, And, you know, just sort of newly married and my wife was working. And then I said, well, what can I do? I've got these skills. I didn't really want to go back into music. This was kind of like, you know, I did some solo records and I just didn't want to, I just didn't want, I was burned out by it basically. So, well, what can, well, else can I do? And I went to work for a prop company locally and they did just advertising things, but they would put me on the, I can sculpt as well. So they put me on these kind of weirder things that they'd get, like, you know, m making big gargoyle wings or some strange sculpture that was going to go in a, in a different kind of an ad. Um, and then I learned how to, uh, like, uh, dry brush was, a, was something that I, you know, texture was a thing that I learned there, dry brushing. So these other different techniques that I learned there, I thought I was like, what am I doing here? I got, you know, where am I going to go? I don't know if I'm gonna be, I want to do this for the rest of my life. But so then I started when I figured out oil painting, all of that stuff that I learned there went into making my surfaces. I have a very specific technique of, of doing a, a, like a, like a multi-layered wash and textural thing uh, before I ever start painting. So that's, that's kind of what got me. So I can't, like, I can't paint on a slick surface. 
I can't paint on a uniform canvas. It drives me nuts. So it has to be chaotic in there. And I make my own sort of chaos underneath that I can react to. So, and I wouldn't have learned that if I wouldn't have gotten that job doing that for a few years. So, well, it's like, yeah, it's like on the job training, like you're taking these things you're learning, like while doing work and applying it to the art, which is probably very different than you'd learn it once again, like in an art school type thing. Like you're learning anatomy because you have to sculpt a, a, like a gargoyle wing. You're learning yeah. dry brush <laughs> technique because you have to, to apply textures to these props. Like it, it's, it's like, um, I don't know. It is very punk. Like you said, like your approach to art is, is very much in keeping with sort of this philosophical approach to music that, that punk is at its best. I, I, I hope so. Yeah. I, I, I like it. I still feel it in me. Yeah. to this day, you know, and I, I just, I, you know, that, that sort of, uh, again, you know, the, the do it yourself vibe, uh, getting back to that with punk and being and having permission to do it yourself and it's okay. Um, you know, there's that sort of like there's no rules you can do. You can go any direction you want. And and um, and the fact that, you know, what if I think about my life now, what inspires me most is that like, what do I want to do? What do I want to see? I'm just going off of whatever I'm inspired by in the moment. I do it very spontaneously. And it is pretty far away from like what you're talking about, any sort of like academia or you like you have to do this or this to get to this to that it can happen in very different disjunct ways as well so you know yeah i mean if you're inspired i think it all comes back to i think that's probably more important inspiration over academia i would have yeah, to say yeah absolutely yeah that's the what you're saying yeah i guess going back to the, the replacements you know, and, and tommy talked about this a little bit on the, when he was on the show like it seems yeah. like you're always like you said with the hardcore thing you guys are always kind of like one step ahead of where the audience is and the audience eventually always seems to catch up with you, but it's by that point you're on to something different. Even with the later records where eventually they were rejected by so many critics and people that were fans of the early years, now they're celebrated. That can be incredibly frustrating as a musician to have to do. And it's so different than I guess visual arts where you don't necessarily have that interaction with your audience. So yeah. it's not going to affect you in the same way, positively or negatively. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do, you know, uh, as I'm painting, I do give progresses. So I update. So there is a, a bit of an interaction through Facebook in real time almost. Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of a cool thing. But yeah, it's not it's not like getting out in front of an audience and having that kind of energy. Yeah, that's it's, it's much more isolatory. Um, and luckily, I'm kind of geared that way. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think, you know, I know there's a lot of people that, you know, that worked with us that I still keep in contact from time to time. And they're, you know, they're still talking about, you know, going out on the road and being and doing the tour managing or whatever. And they, they like that. They, they love. And so I, I, there was a, there was an aspect, I think further uh, earlier on with the, with the uh, replacements where I really enjoyed that kind of first half of it. And then I really started maybe not liking to, to lead town as much sort of my homebody nature started to, to seep in a lot more. And um, I, you know, I just love being at home and making shit. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm grateful that, that I, that I'm geared that way. Cause I don't, I don't think I don't, and my wife says, so, you know, not, not everybody would want to do what you do, sit in a room all day by yourself and, you know, uh, you know, in your own world. I mean, some people would probably find that miserable. 
Yeah, so but anyone all, that's all, been in a sorry, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean. Well, no, no, I was just gonna say. So it's all kind of how you're geared, you know. You're in a different way. So. Well, I was yeah. gonna say anyone who's in been in a band and stuck in a van with three or more other people for a number of years completely relates to why you're able to do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That. You know what? That could have pushed me into this world too. Yeah. No. You're. Oh, right. no <laughs> doubt about it. Like I, I fantasize. I don't about ever that. want to do that again. Never, never. You put me when I'm done. I put me on a solo, uh, a solo mission to Antarctica because I, I will be ready for the solitude. Right. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Did you feel like when it stopped being fun? Was that when it started going more towards like this is like like a like, I don't want to say pop band to diminish it, but like this is more in keeping with what a rock band should be. Whereas in the beginning, it's it's more of an art experiment um yeah I, I think if i think about us kind of um you know where we started out and where we ended up there was a there was a point where and maybe it was when we were like i don't know on tour in europe and it wasn't going very well we didn't do very well there and we were putting all of a sudden we started revisiting like Led Zeppelin and just all these big, you know, the Rolling Stones, just kind of cranking this stuff out. And like it's stuff that you appreciated because that's what you grew up on when you were a kid, a little kid before punk. And so there was an appreciation there. And the who, you know, we put on like, you know, who's next and just blast it. And there was like a little bit of a punk thing going on with the who, I think. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Just the way they started out. But and how they were to kind of progress into this big thing. But we, I think there was a realization and, and maybe a, a reappreciation, you know, just blasting that stuff and how fucking well the songs were crafted. And, you know, it might've been a, it might've been like a, a questioning period of, you know, uh, of, of wanting maybe to reach for that, you know, which I think was impossible, but at that point, but there might have been a little bit of a stylistic shift in wanting to kind of, and then maybe there's major record label stuff going on to where, you know, there there's, Hey, we want to hit, you know, they want to, cause they want to, it's a money, it's a machine for them. And they want to, um, you know, have some sort of a lucrative thing going um, because that's, that's what they do. Uh, but, but um, so, yeah, I think there might've been these, these machinations that we went through, and maybe did drift away from that sort of really kind of, you know, keep it small, keep it, keep it punk and cool. And I think there was maybe a, there was a time when we, we probably tried to do that and maybe couldn't get back if that makes any sense. Or yeah. maybe we did, maybe we did that already and didn't want to do it again. But I do think that there was a way that we went about things that we had lost if that makes any sense. We didn't, start, we didn't, we didn't practice as much. We didn't, the attitude had changed, you know, and it's also, we're getting older. And again, now we're on a major label. So just, you know, just age starts to get, you're not a young punk anymore. You're starting to get and be an older punk. And, and uh, so I don't know. Yeah. All of those things start to come in, 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 uh, into view. And, and, but when I look back on it, I, I think, the the best and most sort of creative fun part was the first half and not the last half if that makes any sense absolutely and i think that's an understanding that for me had, could only have come with time spent being in a band like yeah. i think as a fan 
you know, there was always this sort of like, oh, they did this because they wanted to be huge or they did this because they thought it was going to lead to this thing and that thing. And it's only when you're in a band for an extended period of time that you realize that your relationship, not just to your music, but to all music kind of is forced to be changed. And that's not because you're becoming cynical necessarily, but just because it's your job and it, it changes the way you, you create. Right. Yeah. And if you are creative to begin with, you know, there is that thing about maybe being aware of not wanting to just repeat a formula. And so you are kind of reaching, you know, well, and then you get inspired, like, again, like in a reverse way of stuff that we, that was classic and old that we had ignored. And then we kind of get pulled in this direction a little bit, maybe. And, and, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting how, how, if you're creative to begin with, and have that disposition, you're reaching for something, and maybe you don't always get it. You just you don't, or or maybe you reach away from where it should be. Maybe you should kind of stay where you were, but expand out from there in a different way. So you know, it was just it happened to be kind of the direction we went, and that's 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 how it how it happened. It really seems like though, um, you know, like when you start doing those solo work, because I love us, like I love that first those first two solo records are so good like I, th I think you and like your new stuff's amazing as well like i think you but your approach is so different than it would have been where you're like you know especially where you're doing every single thing on some of these records like yeah. it, it's almost like well i've done it this way in a band like it's not like you went left the replacements and then joined another band on drums it's like you wanted to do a band the completely other way yeah, and I guess that goes back to wanting isolation, you know, feeling very comfortable in doing things on my own, and then technology getting to a place where you can do that more and more. Um, and so I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think that uh, that um, uh, were were the Suicide Commandos an inspiration to you? Because it seems like they're like um, I don't know, like that's certainly the connection between you guys and, and Husker Du. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When we first, like Pete Jesperson, our, our you know, uh, I just got done emailing with him a little bit ago. So uh, still keeping in contact with him. And but, you know, he, he turned us on to so many things, too. You know, and it was it was he was such a great guy to like kind of a sort of a fifth member in a way, you know. Uh, so so he uh, he turned it. Yeah, suicide. And he knew all those guys before we did. He's a little older. He's in the scene a little bit before we are. And so uh, I remember hearing those records and he'd put them on. And I was like, wow, this sounds really cool. And, you know, at first I didn't even know that they were local. We were just, again, we were like 19 or whatever. We just didn't know everything that was going on. And so it was fun to get turned on. Yeah, no, but definitely inspirational. And then I think I remember playing, we would warm up, I think, Suicide Commandos and warm up the suburbs early on. So those were kind of the two, two acts that were kind of, you know, getting a little bigger locally that, that we could uh, we could uh, get we got some inspiration and uh, uh, from them for sure absolutely. I think he gave Chris Osgood gave Bob Mold even guitar lessons at one point and then <laughs> yeah. there's that. Have you heard of the Tulsa Jacks? Yeah, I've heard of the Tulsa Jacks. Yeah, that yeah. Uh huh. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, you're the first ever <laughs> seen everyone I talked to, including Tommy, who plays on that tape, has no recollection of it. But yeah. uh, that's that was, another uh, thing. Mitch, right? Mitch was in the Tulsa Jazz. Absolutely, yeah. Mitch is the drummer. Yeah, Absolutely, Orfo Jokopa, Orfo Jokopas, another yeah. guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like from, I guess it's the guy from uh, Walter who moved from Tulsa for the summer, I guess, up to Minneapolis. Uh, had had a band called the Jacks down in Tulsa, 
And so okay, for that yeah. summer, it was the, the Tulsa Jacks, I guess. And it's, you know, once again, a fascinating tape where you have Chris from the Suicide Commandos playing on songs with Bob from Husker Du with Tommy from Replacement. So it is like a Rosetta Stone for kind of understanding at least a certain small subsect of the scene. Sure. Yep. I remember that. Yeah. Now that you mention it, it it's kind of a cool name too. Tulsa Jacks. I like it. It's a great tape. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah. Some fantastic songs. Oh, I'm going to have to dig it out. It's been a long time, but yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, um, there's like a weird listing on Discogs for you playing on a, a, a Tom Waits record. Oh, wow. Did we? I, I don't think I did. Um, I think it's just you. I don't think it's anyone else in the band. Wow, did they sample me? I don't know. I don't know. It's like a set. It's like a, an unofficial double CD Tom White Tom Waits thing that came out in the 2000s. Unfortunately, I couldn't find it to listen to it. And it's it's listed as you being on one of the songs on it, but it doesn't even say which song or where the session was from. Or it could have been uh, Tom Waits. We were we were kind of towards the end of the band where you know Bob was gone, you know, for a couple of years now, and I think it was kind of getting to the bitter end sort of all shook down here just no i think it was just before that but we were out in los angeles and uh and we were recording was it ocean way studios i can't remember where we were but in one of the studios out there tom waits was uh was he stopped by he he was you know uh, somewhat of a kind of followed us a little bit and had a few quotes about us so we so uh, he came by we were recording and it was just kind of a you know the the liquor came out it was a drunk fest and and I think we all just experimented and did, did some weird stuff. And I think some of that ended up on some of the re-releases that we did recently. Uh, so, God, could it have been a little piece of that that I that I ended up on a Tom Waits? I don't know. It's possible. Okay. That, that might explain <laughs> it then. Not aware of it. <laughs> um, another event where famously alcohol started flowing, uh, I guess, is that Saturday Night Live performance. And I'm just wondering <laughs> what your memories are of Harry Dean Stanton and the that whole uh, I guess and now it's it's infamous. It's such a legendary moment in rock TV history. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember that week before. Okay. So what I would do in between tours was, um, you know, cause you know, drumming sort of in, ends up being more of a sport than an art form, you know, <laughs> when you're, you're touring and you're doing that many gigs, you got to kind of keep your fingers from falling apart and the whole thing. So I would do what I would do is uh, um, I grew up playing hockey. That was another thing I did. And I was actually a pretty decent skater and stick handler. And um, and so what I would do in between tours in the winter was go down and get in a pickup game and, you know, uh, and just keep in shape that way. So then when I got and then, you know, we'd have a couple of weeks off so I wouldn't get too out of shape. I could get, then jump back into drumming. So it was kind of a good physical thing for me. You can keep uh, your cardio up. Yes, yes. So I remember a couple days before we were going to go on to Saturday Night Live, I was like down at the rink skate and I was just kind of shitting my pants thinking like in a couple of days <laughs> on national TV and I was, you know, the, the nerves starts. And then I remember there's another dude that I went to uh, grade school with at New Paul Westerberg, you know, uh, just a, a mutual friend and he was out there skating with me. And I was telling him, I go, yeah, you know, I'm a little nervous about it, you know. I'm, I'm, and basically I think my my thought was like, I didn't want to fuck up on live TV, like drop my sticks or something and have to, you know, it's just like, and, you know, find, I don't know. I thought, you know, just one, it's just probably normal anxiety, uh, performance anxiety that way. And I just remember he goes, oh man, he goes, don't worry, you're going to be fine. You know? And so that just kind of made me feel good. It was just this dude that we knew, you know? And so then I remember uh, going out, flying out to New York and, 
and um, being in the dressing room and and of course, yeah, the the liquor started flowing pretty soon, pretty quickly, way way too much before the show was going to air. And you know they were they were worried about us. We started getting pretty rambunctious and loud. And it, you know it's when you go in there and you, you when you see it on TV, it's just wow, you know the wide angles. And then you get in there and it's just these little cubes and boxes and everything is so small. And so you know if you're getting goofy over here, everybody's going to kind of hear you. It was very, so you know we were getting out of control. And then Harry Dean kind of said, "Hey, who are these guys?" You know, because I think he was really pretty nervous too. Because it's live, you know? Yeah, and he's, yeah. he's got to do more than we got to do. We got to get up there and play a fucking song. He's got to remember his lines. I remember watching the rehearsal, and he seemed, Harry Dean seemed very, very nervous about the whole thing. He was, you know how you're, they're kind of holding the, the script, and I could just kind of see him, you know, like, ah, oh, shit, you know, he's getting the lines out. He was, he was, he, there was nerves there. So he um, ended up, you know, kind of coming back in our dressing room, and hey, you know, and getting a little of our liquor and then we we started pouring him drinks and come on Harry you know and, and uh, so he got I was a little worried because at the beginning of the show he had to if you remember he had to climb a ladder to get up and, and introduce the show and we were a little is he gonna make it up that ladder he's he's definitely a little loose during that opening monologue <laughs> yeah. yeah so it was it was a crazy time but it was fun it was a good memory and then of course like everything I was worried about when I was playing hockey I was like oh geez you just yeah, it's so stupid. We whip ourselves up, you know, for nothing. And you get up there and you, you've done it a million times and we just went ahead and had fun with it. So <laughs> well, apparently like it's you, you're, you're one of the few bands that wound up on the band list, you know, and also oh, yeah, called, yeah, yeah. plays there later. Did they yeah. tell you that right away? Or is that something you just kind of heard about eventually as it kind of leaked out? Like, were they mad? I think they were mad. And I think I remember, even. do I have a memory of Lauren Michaels kind of walking around and pissed off and like, you know, I, but I think it was more that we sort of heard through our manager after that, like, that's it. They're really pissed off and you guys are, you won't be coming on again, you know, it's, we did whatever. <laughs> but you like, you know, famously just like Jim Morrison, you just did Saturday night live. <laughs> Right. And then oh, Sam Kinison, too, was pretty wild on there. You know, I mean, he was he was the other guest host, Sam Kinison, man. I, and and uh, I remember we were a little too wild for Sam. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and toward, towards the end, you know, we were like where they get everybody on stage. We were kind of like pushing everybody into the from the back. And like Sam's like, hey, hey, you know, like your replacement, settle down. You know, it was like it's too much for him. And like we were threatening to kind of push the whole cast into the audience there at the end, but so it's nuts. <laughs> uh, I guess also famously, G. Smith was the guy who really advocated for the band coming on. Did you get to meet him or hang out with that guy ever? He's yeah, I think we did. yeah, we we briefly did. Yeah, him and um, who's the guy that did the news? Uh, kind of curly black hair, and he kind of had that delivery like Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller, yeah, he was, oh, yeah, he was yeah. also on the show at the time, and he was a fan as well. And I remember him watching our rehearsal and kind of hanging out and you know talking to us a little bit uh before the show too as well so that, those are those are some memories but yeah, yeah it's, it's just so damn small in there i just remember how cramped everything was it's, it was a very camera angles i i do short films now and i understand all that now it's, well, it's like yeah like it's new york right like as soon as you remember it's in new yeah, york yeah. city <laughs> There's like a little little rat cubes everywhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the magic of TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you teach yourself how to do animation too? 
Uh, yes, I did. Um, and, you know, I was I, I thought like I wanted to do stop motion and I had done a little bit like in high school and never tried it again, but I wanted to get back into it. And then again, with the technology, the way it's so accessible now to be able to record and do things on a computer. Um, I had no clue of computers. I didn't care about them. They didn't register at all. And then somebody uh, showed me, uh, well, hey, there's this thing called Photoshop and you can kind of paint and draw on the screen. So I go, oh, this is a window into like there. You can do maybe this is a tool that I could use somehow. So that kind of got me into some animation. And then I like the fact that, you know, you didn't have to do frame by frame. Although I completely respect that method and think it looks the coolest when things are all stop motion. I mean, I just love that, that look. But man, it takes so long to do it. So I'm impatient. I want to figure out a way to get something done quickly and you know, get back to painting, whatever. I kind of jump around to things. So I want to get as much bang for, uh, for the buck as I can when I get it. So then I just started investigating programs and then someone turned me on to After Effects, started doing animation and that, and then wanted to get into 3D animation. Very difficult at the time, really, really unuser friendly. And then I just kind of kept trying different ones and landed on a, on a program that I like now that's very immediate. I can get a lot done quickly. And I'm experimenting. I just I just posted a video. I don't know if it's if it's uh, if you saw it or not, but it's it's it almost kind of has a stop motion feel. So I'm kind of trying to get live action, you know, 3D animation and compositing going on there. So, but yeah, I, I just I just trying a lot of stuff again, just trying out a lot of things and teaching myself how to do that. Yeah, because you, you mentioned there being impatient. Like I imagine the work you do on the on the paintings is is just so intensive and takes so much time and the immediacy of this technology is there it, it like does you ever find that pull to it or or do you like the process in the painting so much that's part of it well the the, the painting is in what you're saying there um i i also developed a, a technique in painting to where I can get a lot, I can get things done a lot faster than I normally would if I just didn't do the way I do. Uh, basically, what I do is I, I paint into the varnish. When you're working with acrylics, you can go, you can layer back over really fast, and so you can get a lot done faster. You don't have to wait for things to dry and then go back in, and so the process is a little faster. So what I did is I found a way to marry sort of the the way uh, acrylics behave with uh, oil paint and painting into the varnish is what does it for me. So where the varnish reactivates the paint and it lets it set up and then I can go right back on top of it quickly. So I can, I can stay with it and, and keep going rather than have to wait. And, and so it, it, it's, again, it's my impatience that forced me to come up with this way of doing it. So I can get, I can get a lot going pretty quickly, you know, and, and it's amazing how with the brush, you can kind of turn it in different ways where if you have a pen, you're kind of in a direction, but a paint, you can, you can kind of go all around with a, a paintbrush so you can get a lot of detail and a lot of finessing going on. Um, at least, you know, with this technique, it, it works well with me. I don't know of many other painters that do it that way. I think a lot of people do it the the very, they layer things up, they make a drawing and then they study the drawing and then they do a underpainting and then they, you know, so there's a lot of different ways to do that. A lot of different ways. Well, that's like, you know, not to keep beating this drum, but it, going back to that punk thing, like that's that self-taught versus learning the quote unquote right way to do things where you, you, you come across new ways of doing things and, and, and unique ways of doing things. 
Yep, I think so. Yeah, it's 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 it, reaching for it, wanting to get there and finding maybe some shortcuts. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like there's obviously it's not in every painting, certainly, but there there are clowns that do show up in in your work in time to time, and like certainly the infamously Pappy the Clown is this character <laughs> that you played on stage. Is that like a motif to you in a in a way that you find clowns coming up? Like, what is it about? Like, do you look at that Pappy the Clown as having any sort of artistic expression, or is that just like tour uh, psychosis? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, uh, the, basically, the story behind that is as we toured more towards the end, um, again, I, I sort of talked about the physical aspects of drumming and just you know, trying to keep that. So I wasn't on the same drinking pattern as the other guys. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was a very, you know, I had the sort of more of a physical, not that their end wasn't physical too, you know, it's it's not easy to sit up there, stand up and, you know, wang on your guitar and fucking sing. That's a hard thing too. So we all know but, the drummers got it way harder, Chris. It, Come on, don't, do they, don't do they, sugarcoat okay, it. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah, I, I wonder about it. Yeah. You're right. They do. They do. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're Neil Pert, you know, forget about it. Now. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, so yeah, the, the fact that I had to um, pace myself. A little bit so there were a lot of times i was just sober as you know as can be while the other guys were doing whatever they're doing you know whether they were sober or whether they weren't i was you know and then i would have this pattern where i'd say okay pappy's coming out tonight you know because i i felt like i wanted to be you know i wanted to just kind of let loose and and i didn't really give a fuck and maybe i'd maybe I'd, i don't think i had any rhyme or reason so it, it, it might have even been sometimes where there were more important shows where there was going to be people coming from the record label to look at i didn't care but so there were times that that i you know was not very in in, in very good shape at all to, to play and then those times you knew that the guy it was a signal to the rest of the guys uh oh you know i'm not going i'm not going to be as tight as as I normally am. <laughs> it's it's uh, like your and your painting style's always been like obviously very different, but it's 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 reminding me a bit of Joe Coleman and and Joe oh, yeah. Coleman's paintings. Sure, yeah. Um, and you know he does have that. I forget his alter ego that Cat Uncle Howie, I think he used to call it, where he used oh. to go out and blow himself up on stage. <laughs> it was very performance art, but like yeah, yeah. You know, it seems like it seems like Pappy also has that kind of performance art element to it, like. You know, and, and Joe would get wasted as well. So there is that sort of also shared uh, social lubricant component too. Right. There you go. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, I love I love his work too. Yeah, Joe Coleman. And he also has that really sort of, uh, again, yeah, punk, do it yourself. And there's a kind of a cir circus atmosphere to it. And yeah, very cool stuff. Have you ever heard of his punk band? I, 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 not, I'm not, I've heard it once, but I'm not enough. I, I, I wanted to listen to more and I just never got back to it. So I would like to. There's is, a, he still, is he still going? Uh, he's still obviously painting and, and such, but no, I don't think he. I think he he's was only. Fun, yeah. I think he was only in the band for a few years. He did a solo record later on as okay. well, but uh, the few years that he was in the Steel Tips, there's a great YouTube video that I'll send you where he's. Okay. I guess they're opening for the the Dead Boys. And oh, the Dead Boys! Yeah. He comes out and blows himself up on stage as the opening <laughs> part of the. Set. I want to see that. I want to see that. Awesome. It's fantastic, but like you're saying, there are. You know, uh, and uh, this is what I was talking to Carl about. There's a number of incredible artists that kind of emerge from punk and, um, you know, obviously yourself included that, that wind up not transcending it, but just having these sort of careers outside of it, you know, and it, it's, it's fascinating from like Raymond Pettibon to Pusshead, like obviously very different what they're doing. And all of you are very different in what you're doing, your approaches and Tim Kerr, you know, from the big boys, but there is this sort of, uh, 
it, like very similar quality to it all in the sense that it is punk. You can you feel the punkness come across in it. Cool. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, it, it it's still there. I mean, you know, it's a it's it's a time in your life when it comes into your life, and it, again, it's crazy. I, you know, another I was going to mention too, Captain Beefheart. Mm-hmm. I I we used to you know Pete Jesperson would put his records on and you know me and Paul or you know another band member whatever would be hanging out and there was just something about the feel of that too it was just so unorthodox and that was you know punk in its own way of course but very kind of artsy performance arty kind of stuff too you know doing just really weird disjunct things and lyrics but um, yeah it it's it's all uh, creativity. In whatever form it takes at whatever point in your life. But it doesn't matter as old as I get now, I still kind of feel that energy and use it, you know, and it's still there. And I have I have really good memories of it. It's fun to to hang out with Hazelmeyer and and you know, he's he kind of he's still very, you know, into it and he'll send me something and it's like check this out or whatever, you know. And it's still, it's just, it's, it's the artfulness is still there, you know, and, and ba- new bands and new people are, are carrying that torch. So it's really cool. I appreciate the movement, you know, for, for that alone. Yeah. Well, you know, like bands like the Melvins and these bands that do have such a strong graphic sensibility and such like, uh, like I learned about so many different artists from them having different people do their, their record sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Melvins too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. And, I think the other thing that I, I find like, you know, just sort of fascinating about this thing is that it's almost like a religion. Like you're saying, you learn it at a very formative time in your life. A lot of times when, you know, for a lot of people, they're, they're leaving religion or maybe rejecting the religion they were, they grew up with. And this sort of winds up filling that sort of spiritual center for a lot of people on the show that I talk to, where it's something that it's not like being into, you know, some other random subgenre necessarily, because it is something that you wind up carrying with you like Catholic guilt for the rest of your life. You... Have that too. Yeah. <laughs> See, <laughs> punk guilt and Catholic guilt. It's That's what it is. That's what it is. The Catholic guilt from, from too many restraining rules <laughs> to the religion of punk that has no rules. Yeah. yeah. And still doesn't have any rules. That, that's what I did when I think, when I sit on a paint, I, I always remind myself there's no fucking rules. Yeah, that's what it is. So if it's a religion, it's a religion without rules. Well, this is ruled. And anytime, Chris, you get the hankering to come on here and talk about art or music, please know this door is forever open to you. I appreciate that. And it's super nice to meet you. And, and it was a great conversation. I really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Chris will be back for a part two at some point in the future or splits. Maybe I hope hopefully Chris comes back because that was a lot of fun, more art and music to be talked about and more hangs to be had in the future. Get psyched once again, because in the fall 742, Chris's new book is due out and the average album is available now on chrismarspublishing.com. Next episode of the show, let's keep that rhythm coming with another drummer in celebration of the upcoming release on July 21st of The Ballad of Darren, the new Blur record. People are very, very excited about this. And I'm very excited about this episode. David Roundtree is on the show, and this is one of the most fascinating people of all time. Like, he has done a lot outside of music, and 
within music and we talk about punk. We talk about, oh, it's a fun episode. I'm excited for you to hear it. It is going to be dropping uh, next week on the show. And, uh, and, and that is that. All right. Well, that is it for me. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of Indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and their rights and stop people from trying to interfere with other people's reproductive systems. Because what we're talking about here aren't politics. These are just basic human rights issues. People deserve to be able to live free and not have to worry about hate and violence and people saying that they don't exist or any of that bullshit. So if there's organizations in this world that are affecting positive change and you want to get involved with them, get involved, donate your, your time. If you've got money, I'm sure they could use some financial support. Um, your voice, just, just your support because it'll help you, uh, feel better to know that you're affecting positive change in the world. Speaking of feeling better, try meditating because I didn't believe in it. And every time I, I, kind of stop doing it for a second and go back to it. I'm like, oh, this really does work. So try it, stick with it. I know I'm not the first person to, to discover this thing, but I feel the need to champion it. And this is not a specific type of meditation. I got lots of friends that are into very niche specific types of meditation. And I'm sure there's reward in finding a practice like that, but I'm just talking just general stopping and breathing and, and focusing and yeah, just try it, explore it. Speaking about things to explore, explore what you can do to contribute to your scene. You can start a band, you can start a fanzine, you can start, oh God, a, a podcast. You could uh, make flyers. There's lots of ways to contribute because this is a genre that's based on getting involved and, and being involved. So get involved and be involved. That'll help you feel better too. And it doesn't matter if you're older, you can start doing this at any age. Believe me, these things, uh run on uh, the sweat and tears of free labor. So get involved. I mean, these things, scenes. Sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need that anymore, that shit. You don't need that shit anymore. Give that shit to someone else and maybe save their life. I've seen it perform miracles, so it, it does really happen. I've, I've seen it firsthand, so well, not... Yeah, I guess, uh, firsthand, I guess, right? You, you witness something happening? Anyway, sign your organ donor cards. Well, that is it for me. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.